know, safety has to be your paramount concern. Your money is made in automation by being able to fix things, not by running a show. Ultimately, I think training is useful. The more strings you have to your bow, the better it's going to be. So really what I, I look for uh, within a technician is somebody who can balance out the team. You know, you don't want an uneven team. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. On this episode, we'll be talking to Shimon Geddes about automation. This is our second episode addressing the broad topic of automation, and we invite you to check out our episode 12, where we talk with Craig Price. Shmame makes stuff up. People fly and occasionally gets dirty doing so. Shmem was last working as head of automation for Under the Same Sky by Cirque du Soleil. She previously served as the head of automation on Curious and assistant head of automation on La Perle in Dubai. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again, Shmem. So for those who don't know you, just tell us a little bit about you and how you got into automation. I uh, grew up in Glasgow. I went to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama to do a course that was uh, previously known as stage management studies. It changed to technical and production art while I was there. I went initially with the aspiration to be a set designer and work in the, the artistic side, but I kind of got pulled into the technical side and specialized in uh, lighting and pyrotechnics and special effects. So I left and, and kind of went off my merry way in stage electrics worked for Scottish Opera, I worked for various cruise lines, Disney Cruise Line, Royal Caribbean, and it was at the time that I was working for Disney Cruise Line, I went to see La Nuba, and I fell in love with Cirque. It was a great first show to, to see, I think. And then from that point on, that's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work, you know, for a company like that or on shows like that. That was around about 2006, and from that point, I just basically was aiming for for that that kind of gig for Cirque du Soleil took me about 10 years to get to Cirque but I went via via the Franco Dragon find out about a little show that was being put on in uh, Macau uh, at City of Dreams didn't know anything about Franco Dragon apart from La Nuba didn't know anything about Macau but uh, ended up landing the job with the special effects department that's obviously where I met you Anna <laughs> and um, was part of the special effects team for a year. Wasn't quite what I was expecting or, you know, didn't, didn't quite pan out the way I had hoped um, and was probably, I was about to leave actually and the automation department came to me and said, would you be interested in joining us? And I was like, well, I don't know anything about automation. Could, am I allowed to do that? You know, they explained that, the mindset was the, the right mindset was there from working with special effects and pyrotechnics especially and so I, I made the move and I, I basically I was lucky enough to cut my teeth on on the biggest show in the world at that time so it was a great a great um, entry point for me I think so from there I went um, very briefly back to cruise ships after two and a half years at house I went back to cruise ships and then eventually went into UK touring 
Uh, I did a number one UK tour of Dirty Dancing. And then I finally got my job with Cirque and I joined Totem, which was a big top tour as automation mechanic. I did that for a year. I then sidestepped back to Franco Dragon, back to um, another creation at La Pearl in Dubai. And I was there for just over a year. Then I got uh, the position of head of automation for Curious, which I I loved Curious. I never actually managed to see the show, but I, I loved the, the imagery and the music was great. I loved the steampunk theme that it had. And I was really looking forward to, to getting... Uh, you know, a head of automation position. So kind of right place, right time. Got that job and did that for a year. Uh, no, sorry, two years. And um, then uh, joined joined the creation for uh, Under the Same Sky. Uh, and that's what I was working on up until March last year. That's fairly, uh, even though it was a, a long trajectory, it's quite an, an interesting route that you took. When you said that you you were made the transition from special effects into automation, you mentioned a mindset. What, what would you clarify, like what would you, how would you quantify what that mindset is for automation in terms of that skill set? I think it's the understanding that, that you know, you have... Um, you have a great deal of responsibility when you sit behind the, uh, a console for for um, pyrotechnics or, or for for automation. You're responsible for your cast and crew's safety. You know, safety has to be your paramount concern, and you have to understand how your equipment works and and how to fix it when it when it will eventually go wrong. You have to you have to have have the way to be able to fix that. You know, I always say that your money is made in automation by being able to fix things, not by running a show. But it is, yeah, it's very much a kind of the safety aspect, I think, is the right mindset. And just being, it sounds kind of patronizing, but being a responsible adult while you're while you're operating a show. Do you miss playing with fire? I, <laughs> yeah, I do miss playing with fire. But I think the thing is when you're doing pyrotechnics and fireworks that, you know, you spend so much time setting it up and you can be, you know, up to your knees in sand or you can be hunched over on a rooftop in the, in the you know, pouring wet rain for days and it's all done within like, you know, 12 minutes if you're lucky. I feel like automation is, it's more enjoyable because you get to participate for the entirety of the show. You know, it's not just like flashing a pan, no pun intended. It's true, though, isn't it? It's usually a one big bang at the end or at the start, and then you're just sitting around waiting for the show to end. I never really thought about it that way, but it's so true. Oh my gosh! When you when you talk about automation in terms of technical skills, you know that there's not a lot of training out there, official or formal university training, or you know courses apart from specific courses run by companies who create the automation, but. What would you, what, what's the path for learning how to be an automation operator? And then after the automation operation, the rest of the skill sets in terms of the mechanics of it, the electrical components, et cetera, et cetera. I think to be a good operator is, is like I said before, is, is to understand your, your system first and foremost, you know, the, the, the system that you're using, the software that you're using, the syntax that you're using when you're typing stuff in. I mean, most of it is all pre-programmed, 
for a show scenario. You've got your cues, they're in a cue stack or multiple cue stacks and, and you learn what buttons to press at the right time. That's the very basics. But understanding the process of how those cues get in there is, is very useful. You know, if you have to program something else, understanding how the equipment works is also really important. You know, you could you could push a button all day long, but if you don't know the process of what happens within the entire system, not just within your console, but the entire system of when you push that button, that sends a signal there, that tells this electronic winch to move, all these things. If you have a greater understanding of that, then it's going to definitely play in your favor. And I think you should always be able to have, even if it's just a basic knowledge of electrics, mechanics, straight off the bat, that's really going to help you. And obviously hydraulics and pneumatics are in there as well. A lot of these things you will you will only learn on the job. But if you have just a basic knowledge or just a basic understanding, it's really going to stand you in good stead, I think. So what are your thoughts between being self-taught and formal education and then being trained at work um, and then cross-training, which I know it's important to you, even the fact of being able to maybe have a mentee and mentor relationship? Being self-taught is great. I think if, if you do you know, your own research and if you kind of go off into like um, some of the websites that do like little training projects and stuff like that. Like I know that Siemens do a training academy for for their stuff, like their components over lockdown last year. I was on there doing stuff about PLCs and a lot of those components because Siemens is used primarily with, uh, well, not primarily, but a lot of Siemens is used with like the tape products and stage technologies. So if you go off and you do those trainings, you know, by yourself, if you take initiative just to do a training of any kind, I think that's going to prove to to future employees or future trainers that, that you're taking it seriously, that you're actually wanting to improve yourself. So that's great. I think if you are around the backstage industry, if you work in a, a different department and you've got the, the opportunity for like a cross training, I think that's always something that you should try and pursue. I am a huge advocate of cross training uh, for anybody. I think it's it's a necessity really for shows to be able to have substitutes on the bench, but also for you for individuals to be able to progress and to get better knowledge and more knowledge so that they can they can then progress professionally and personally. The the formal trainings from from different companies are are good. Um they are expensive and if you are starting out you might be like, well, why am I going to spend this much money to do this training? Is it actually going to help me? Is it going to be useful? Ultimately, I think training is useful. The more strings you have to your bow, the better it's going to be, but I understand you know, the cost of training at the start uh, is, is difficult. You know, we're all, we're all struggling for money at the moment, especially. So I think if you are able to find somebody who will, you know, show you the ropes or, um, you know, just, uh, just help you to understand a bit more. If you have like a, like you say, a mentor or a trainer, then that's a very lucky position to be in. Yeah. And I'm always looking at like, 
as a head of automation, I'm always looking for someone who is interested in that discipline, you know, regardless of where they come from. If they want to know more, then I, you know, I definitely will try and set aside time to, to, to kind of like impart whatever wisdom I have on them as well. There's, I think there's several different lanes you could go down to get to that main road, but um, sometimes one will present itself more than the others, I think. And I guess there's probably multiple paths to the same results in the end in, in this kind of path, given there's no formal structure for getting into automation, right? So there's many different ways you could end up working. When you're working with other technicians that are in automation, are you looking for that diverse skill set? Are you looking for mechanical and electrical knowledge? Are you what do you apart from well, I'd say in, it's a two-part question. What are the technical skills you look for? And what are the soft skills you're looking for in terms of fellow teammates in automation? For me, especially when we're working with big top shows, it's usually just the department of two. So it's myself and then it's the the technician mechanic. I'll be the first to admit it. My skill set is predominantly with operation. Um, that's where I started. That's where I'm very comfortable. And I do have the the basic knowledge of like, you know, computers. I have a basic knowledge of electrics mechanics but then that goes so far so really what I I look for uh, within a technician is somebody who can balance out the team you know you don't want an uneven team so I really want somebody who maybe does have more of an electrical knowledge who can be a little bit better with working inside the cabinets or you know working on on the electrical aspect or you know with slightly more mechanical skills or something that's really just going to not only help my department out but it's going to be a, a useful skill set to have for the show as a whole you know if if somebody's there and, and can weld you know if they're a welder that's great you know because that might help me out but it might also help carpentry out or you know whoever things like that I also want somebody who when I speak to somebody you know over the phone for an interview I, I want to be able to to feel a connection or a chemistry you know, I want to feel like I get on with this person over the phone because if you're only working in a two-person team, you need to be able to to get on, I think, you know, to, to have that kind of like uh, chemistry. And I think that um, that's quite important. Good communication skills are just priceless in, in this industry. Uh, I can't say enough about communication. I'm not always the best at it, but I think it, in a show scenario especially, being able to communicate well is, um, is very important to me. Yeah, I think those are the main things that I look for, and I think anything else is, is a bonus. <laughs> so now how do you take that on to creating a show and um, maintaining a show and the operations? What, what are your considerations? You've got two people that are good at what they do or that you can train them to be good at what they do. And so, now what? Yeah, I think it's when you're creating the show. I mean, a lot of the time when there's a creation, we have a primary programmer. So there's somebody that comes in to do the main programming. I think then you have to take one person from the team to kind of like shadow that side of it to be able to, to understand what's going on with the console, the programming, so that then once you leave creation and you go into, you know, just the those six months where you're really finding your feet and then 
coming out the other side as a as a fully integrated operational show. I think to have somebody who is maybe more console or operation oriented should be with the programmer and should be more inclined to be doing things like how the queues go together, how that all integrates with other things, you know, integrating with rigging on that part, the show crew, I would say. And then I think there's also the side of like the daily maintenance, you know, all the things that you do in the morning, like a range of motion or a bump check, checking that the lines are all level and things like that. I think that's, I mean, that's how I've, that's how I split it on under the same sky. It seemed to work quite well to be able to just kind of like separate those two, like a more maintenance or day crew based technician and then a, a show crew operator based technician but it doesn't mean that we can't do each other's jobs it's just there's more there's more of a bias on one side or the other I think that's um that worked well for me maybe not for other people but that's how I like to do it uh, but you know it's when it comes down to transfer you know um tear down and set up then we're you know we're all the same when it comes to that you're just mucking in to get everything done but yeah, I think on creation side, also creation is difficult because you, you start to do all your paperwork, you know, your risk assessments and you're starting to figure out your cue sheets and, and it's difficult to know what you're doing sometimes because you can have equipment that you don't actually know what you're going to do with it yet. You don't know how it's going to be integrated into the show and you're sitting there going, well, how can I write a risk assessment about this or how can I... How can I preempt this when you actually don't know what it is that you're doing? <laughs> you know, like the 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 robot drum from from La Pearl. Like I I started risk assessments right back at the beginning, and I knew that we had the Kuka robot arm, but I had no idea what we were doing about it. So I was off writing risk assessments that you know no artist should be near it, and then they strapped an artist to it, and I was like, well, that's all my work out the window. So where do we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh what's the difference in terms of you you spoke about a uk tour it was a musical like a west end uh remind me what that one was oh do i have to it, it was dirty dancing dirty dancing what's the difference in terms of the circus realm i think which has a very different like a very definitive process and formula what what is it like in in that kind of tour how different is the process when they're putting that together it's easier i would say when you're when you're doing theater tour you you don't have to build your venue and then put your show in you're just you're just shoehorn shoehorning your your show into whatever theater you go into and you figure that out and then you know once once it's up you just go about your business obviously with validations and stuff like that Whereas Big Top, you're you're basically building your venue from the ground up and then putting your theatre, like putting your show into it. So there's a lot more involved with with the Big Top touring than there is with theatre touring. But also it's nice because it is your space. So whatever you need to do to it, you know, within reason, I guess. But you can you can completely personalize that for you and for the, for that show because that is your venue you know whereas if you go into a theater there's only so much that you can do you know it's nicer to have all your own stuff but it's it's hard work 
is much harder. You know, it, obviously it can take longer when you're doing transfer to tra transfer from one city to another. When you're packing up a tent and moving the entire thing, then it takes longer to do it. You know, it's longer to set it up. It's longer to tear it down. It's longer to transport it from one city to another. Whereas, you know, a UK tour, yeah, you might have to go from the south of England to, you know, central Scotland, but it's still a, a day a day's travel at the most, you know. So, I mean, there's good points and bad points about both. And the way how it works, it actually works and is structured. Um, I feel um, Broadway or West End shows are have a more, not to say a structure way, but not really. It's just a different structure. It's a different box that they fit in. <laughs> how does that differ for the automation text? Uh, the structure of how the show is, or or how we how we build it. Yeah, how how we see the shows. Um, there's different formulas, so to speak. Sure, sure. Yeah, I th yeah, I think. I mean, both have their own little formulas of of how it how you see it and how it appears. But yeah, I think theater is very much like you know you've got a cross arch. You're looking at something on a stage, and then it's it's a show that's being performed for you if that makes sense. Whereas the circus, I think it's a little bit more immersive because when you're sat in the big top, you're there, you know, the, the, sometimes the performers are flying over you, you know, and, and, and it's, I think you, I think you very much get sucked into a world more with the theater than with the circus than you do with the theater, you know, and I think the structure of what we do, with theatre is very much there's this and then there's this and then there's this whereas circus can kind of go off in any direction it pleases and it changes as well you know a show is a show is a show for theatre but the circus the acts change you know you, you can have backup acts on one night so so you might go and see the same show three times but you see different things every time you know and that that's always a It's interesting for the audience, obviously, but it's also a bigger challenge for us because it's integrating these these artistic changes or, you know, act changes gives you, it's not always going to be the same show. Yeah, and I think that, you know, with with sort of um, musicals and stuff, the, the automation is there to facilitate scene changes or support storytelling as opposed to the main feature, yet the circus shows are quite often now pivot around automation being a central feature in a, a particular act or how a scene changes, you know, and I, I think there there is really kind of a different psychology in how automation is used in both platforms, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. You're right. The For, for I think, West End and Broadway and those, those kind of affiliated tours, it, it is very much like we're glorified scene changers a lot of the time. Or it's just an interesting kind of spin. You know, you might have a revolve and it's like, oh, look, they're, they're you know, spinning around the stage. That's interesting. Whereas the circus is more about the spectacle. You know, it, I, think, I think there's a, it's quite nice because the circus actually takes the technical element of automation, but actually makes it artistic and it makes it beautiful. You know, whereas in, in, the, in, West End and in Broadway, it's more like, oh, this is moving now so that we can get to the next point. 
there's nothing wrong with either of those things, but they're, they're just two very different dynamics. But I think what's interesting when you start to think about the intersection, and I guess, you know, somebody might come around and slap me on my wrist by talking about this, but say for Spider-Man was one of those Broadway shows that went overly ambitious in, I'll say overly ambitious in terms of their flying features and et cetera. So that wasn't particularly a winner. And the same thing with um, Paramore when it was in New York City. Didn't, didn't it was sort of that hybrid model so so th- these kind of things they do really sit in their own realm and there's not yet been something that's nailed it in that hybrid kind of circus slash broadway sort of realm do you think yeah i would t- i would tend to agree with you yeah um yeah things like like spider-man it it was ambitious and it wasn't it i think it was kind of like automation for automation's sake in a way and yeah, that can happen on other shows as well, for sure. But it's true, and 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 the same with Paramore. You know, when people go to to Broadway or when they go to the West End, they're going to see a musical. That they have a they have a standard that they want to see. Same as when you come to the circus, you have a standard of what you expect to see. And it's true. There's there's nothing quite in the middle. I mean, you know, maybe Pippin, but that's only because it's set in the circus. So you kind of expect to see a, a little bit of both, but uh, it's it's a fine line to teeter on, I think, but yeah, you're right. It's two two very different demographics, and and there's nothing that's kind of married the two together. Yeah, contentious news this week with Pippin because there was an accident in the Australian production of Pippin this week. One of the celebrities that was in the, the show, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, Australian woman, uh, fell from uh, foot hang. Even though she's not, I don't know why, she, I mean, she was doing foot hang and she, she fell and broke her collarbone, but she's okay, everyone's okay. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's just an interesting to bring that up in terms of, you know, that, that hybrid aspect of automation. And the other thing that I wanted to bring back up is, you know, something you said I think that kind of resonates with me, automation for automation's sake. I think, you know, that's something that circus can struggle with too is trying to make things look necessarily impressive and where's the line between creativity and showcasing um, technical things because it really, you know, if you're going to have a great creative project, I'm one of those people that the creative leads it and the automation supports it rather than let's see what we can do with the automation system and be as flashy as possible. What's your take on, on that? Yeah, I agree. Obviously, you know, I want... I want to be able to, to to showcase automation and and to be able to be able to bring something to the show, you know, something more. But I don't want it to get out of hand. It's like I always compare it to to when I'm doing pyrotechnics or fireworks. You know, the the more you add, the more money you're burning. And then you have to ask your question: Is this necessary? And I think the same in a way should be said for automation it's like <clears throat> is this necessary is it adding anything to the show is it adding anything to the act and then go from there i think you know as is always the case when technology is involved something will eventually go wrong and i think just to add automation for automation's sake just to be like hey look at all this stuff we've got and look how you know all these cool things we can do with it that's fun but then when you've got something that maybe wasn't necessary and it causes you even more problems because something's crashed into the stage or you know a winch is now broken or whatever then then you're just giving yourself 
more problems to deal with overall. So as much as I love being able to do, you know, all the fancy things and, and keep myself busy during a show, you know, operation-wise, I think, yeah, I think you're right. There, there's a point where you're like, is it necessary? Is it going to cause more problems than it's worth? Is it going to put unnecessary strain on the system? All these kind of things, you know, is, is some, they're all things that you should take into consideration. But at, ultimately, it's not my choice. You know, it is the creative's choice, and then we just have to work around it. But I, I think there are times where I have stepped up to the plate and been like, I don't think we should do it this way. I think maybe we should, maybe we could try something else first. Or sometimes you have to you have to do the old suck it and see and do it and then something go wrong or it turn into a huge mess and you're like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll rethink that one, you know. It's definitely one of the most, uh, what I think is the most collaborative part of a creation process between automation and, and, and creative because creative people are not necessarily trained in how the automation gets programmed yet they're devising things in their head that they want to see right so you definitely got to have such a huge relationship between that department maybe even more so because the 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 formation of what they're creating is so heavily reliant on effective communication um, quality programming safety etc etc exactly exactly so i i I think you're right and i do enjoy that most of the time I think it is it's it's very it's very important to be on board with one another I think you know it it has to be a good relationship between the creatives and and between uh technical especially automation and and rigging as well because you know automation and rigging go hand in hand especially with what we do at the circus so I think you know we all have to be on board with one another and there has to be that kind of that understanding and or respect amongst us that we understand what it is that you're trying to achieve we want to help you get to that but you should take into consideration this this and this or we can't achieve it this way so these are the these are the the best ways that we can achieve what you want to do you know but we have to go about it a different way and I think there's that just being able to work together is important because that it's only by by being able to work together and communicating effectively that that we'll all get the outcome that we want but it is it is difficult trying to work with people who aren't you know who aren't technical they they don't understand the com- you know the, the complications of programming or that's great doing that one act or that one thing but then we have to get ready we have to transition for this next act and then how are we going to go about that as well you know I think the transitions are just as important as as the acts themselves so that's it's it's very important to be able to to do what we need to do for the acts but also to be able to let the show flow the way it should without creating merry hell around you know backstage so everything we've said probably for the past five minutes or more kind of goes back always to safety and safety, safety all the time. How do you approach safety? What does it mean to you? What are your main concerns? How do you communicate that to the creatives, to the artists, and even to your technicians? So, yeah, um, safety for me has always been of paramount concern. 
I do my best to be conscientious about everything that I'm doing. And the best way to to communicate that is to just be straightforward. You know, you have to be very straightforward. You can't you can't sugarcoat things too much because sometimes it gets lost in translation. I think you have to be very direct about your communication. I think for me, you know, my my primary goal is when I operate a show or or when I'm working is to make sure that not only my cast but my crew are able to, you know, put their bags over their shoulders and go home at night. You know, that's that's what I want. I want to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to ensure people's safety. That means safety protocols in the shows. You know, we have um, cameras all around backstage to keep an eye on everything. You know, all the all the tricky pinch points or something like that. You know, we, we've got cameras to to keep an eye on that. We, you know, doing, it sounds ridiculously obvious, but weekly checks, daily checks, running maintenance, making sure that your equipment is up to par before you even go into a show, things like that. You want to make sure that all that is is tip-top condition before you go into a show. When you're doing a show, I don't have anything else in the booth with me. You know, I have, if I have my phone, it's on silent and it's face down. It's only there for an emergency. I don't look at my phone during a show. I don't read a book during a show. I don't check my emails during a show. I do the show. I focus 100% on what I'm doing for those two hours. And that's it. I expect the same of anybody who I have running the console with me. You know, I always, um, I liken it to driving a car, you know. You don't use your phone when you're driving a car, you know. If if you've come in from a fairly heavy night and you feel like you might be half cut, you're not going near the console. You know all of these kind of things. If you do, if you wouldn't do it in a car, don't do it in front of the console. And I think that's before we've even started the show. <laughs> so, and during the show, it's very much. Being, for me, it's it's like a competition with myself to be as consistent as I can be, to make sure that I am on the queue. I'm not taking anything, you know, before. I'm not taking anything too late. Obviously, when you're operating, we're all human and we all make mistakes. I've made some dingers in my time, as Anna can attest. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to be as consistent as I can be. And that's, you know, concentrating on the show. That's concentrating on everything that's going on around. You know, I'm watching the artists. If the artists start to do something that's not what they usually do, if if they're acting a bit off, I'm very much paying attention to that to make sure that something's not wrong. You know, I'm expecting calls from other departments at a particular time. If it's not coming within that time, I'm checking up on them. Is everything okay? It sounds basic and it sounds very obvious when you say it out loud, but when you're in the moment and you're in the show, it, you can kind of, you can lose all of these things, but it's, it's just about being switched on. And I think that's, from, from an operator standpoint, that's, that's very important. You just, you, ha- you have to focus, you have to pay attention. And it's one of my pet peeves. If you're not paying attention, if you're, you know, sitting looking at what the audience are doing, 
if if you're reading a book, you're not you're not giving your job the hundred percent attention that it deserves, and um, I can't be dealing with it. <laughs> it's a great philosophy that consistency, and you know, like you said, over time the likelihood of something happening is high when you're doing a show after show after show, right? So, and 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 how quickly can things unravel when automation goes wrong? So you can't be on the back foot when that happens. You know, you've got to be right there ready to respond. So, again, it's knowing your system and knowing knowing the best way to fix something if and when that problem arises. I find myself once once I do know a show, like, and I'm I'm comfortable in that driving position I'm then in the back of my head going if that went wrong how would I fix that if that went wrong how would I fix that and I've I've found myself on a couple of occasions actually thinking of something and a few days later you know something very similar to what I thought of happened and it's it's being it's being able to understand your system and know your show and how to get out of that problem that's really going to make things far easier for you. So having, having gone over the, you know, those what-if scenarios in the back of my head also comes into play, I think, of being able to, to like you say, not being, not being on the back foot. Like you said, Anna, it's like being able to, to, to step into pretty quickly to, to alleviate problems. Having called circus shows for 10 years, I'd say that the, one of the foundations of being confident as a caller is to have a consistent and strong and reliable automation team. Otherwise, you're, you're effed, really. <laughs> I mean, if there's, no, if there's no trust there, then you then you can't be confident to make the calls that you need to do. And I think it's just such an important relationship. And, a, and, a, and, a, and I've been very fortunate to have wonderful, including yourself, Shmim, um, people support that process and I think it's amazing. So tell us, do you have a favorite show, act, or cue or sequence in the automation realm? And if so, tell us about it. I mean, I've got a couple. There's one that I didn't really have very much to do with, but I loved the the Bungie Pagoda sequence at House of Dancing Water. And I think that was just yeah, I mean the music gives me nightmares still, but um but it would it to watch it is incredible, and it was a it was a huge undertaking from from both the callers' standpoint and the multiple automation operators at the same time. We were all involved in that in some way. You know, we were all in the thick of it, and I think it was it was completely over the top. But I loved it because it it was so on point, and it was you know visually it was very. Uh, very impactful I think for the audience as well I always remember you know the the at the very end there was that big hit you know at the end and then the applause was always crazy it just kind of carried on after that big hit the, that last hit of the music um so I loved I loved that even though I didn't really get to to fly people and I think I was pr- primarily in the center well for that getting the north and the south boys up onto their platforms again but um yeah, I did enjoy that. And I really, I loved um, working with the, the Tominoff brothers for the, the Duo Straps Act in Curious. We made some changes while I was there. So we, we kind of uh, tweaked some cues and added some bits and changed it. But it was really a fantastic act. Um, the boys were great to work with. Both Vitalia and Roman were um, 
were fantastic and uh, coach Sasha as well and I really enjoyed my time when I was working with the boys and when we were kind of tweaking those cues and the way that we worked together the act looked great you know I loved it. it was always a big wow factor you know half naked men's always going to be a crowd pleaser most of the time you know so but the, the crowd loved it and um yeah I loved I love working with them and I, I did love that sequence so that I, those are two of my favorite what would you say is the thing you like the most about your job I love to travel I'm not doing much of it right now but I do love to travel so I love um having a job that will take me around the world uh, you know and I cost less money than having to do it myself and <laughs> I love being part of of something that you know the crowds will come to and they really enjoy you know I love I love being part of the wow factor that sounded really cheesy I didn't mean it to sound cheesy but <laughs> I, I yeah it, it is always great to you know feel the buzz of the audience and when they come in and then the buzz when they leave it's it's always a very different a different feel when they're leaving to when they arrive you know there's the anticip- anticipation when they arrive and and just the you know the, the 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 joy when they leave i guess you could say i've always just really loved theater i've loved the spectacle you know when i joined house of dancing water and it was all spectacle you know it, it it's it is enjoyable it's enjoyable enjoyable to be part of that and i i like being able to take something you know overtly technical and make it something quite beautiful um you know with things like you know Joe Strab's act or, or or anything really when there's you know performer flying it can be so beautiful and i think it's such a great it's it's a great kind of amalgamation of the the creative the artistic and the technical and um to be able to do that is it's just great i just like I can't, I can't explain it better than that. I love my job and uh, I'm very grateful that I get to do it, you know. I think it's a great answer. If you could change something about your job or the industry for the better, what would it be? I, I, you know, I really want to see more women get involved in automation. You know, we're still, we're still few and far between, I think. And I think it, it is off-putting, you know, with, with a lot of the, the workload that we have to do and a, a lot of what is expected of us but i i think it would be nice just to to have some more gals out there flying the flag for us you know i think that would be it'd be a great step forward automation's still a really young discipline you know it's, it's it's younger than i am really ultimately i think it's it's just going to take time i think it would be really nice to get more training you know within the 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 schools and the universities to be able to 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 give people if nothing more than a taster or like the basics like automation 101 before they come out into the industry would also be um a, a great step forward but i understand the you know the costs and all of that, that that's involved with it but i think it would be a great uh, a great step forward to to you know, get more people into the industries to give them a taster before they're actually there. Because I, I didn't come across automation until I worked for Disney Cruise Line. You know, I'd never heard of it before until I worked for Disney Cruise Line. And that was 2005. Uh, I can tell you, <laughs> my, I'm doing my master's. And when I'm doing my master's, they have a master's in automation. And I want to say about, oh, certainly more than half of the students that have passed through the automation program that I know have been female. 
fantastic. That's great news. <laughs> it's great news. Yeah. So let's let's see them in the industry. Come on. Yep. <laughs> that's it. No, that's fantastic. And if any budding uh, automation females or males uh, are interested in reaching out and asking you any questions, would you be happy, Shmem, to uh, answer them? Absolutely. Yeah. Any questions, um, queries, you know, I, I can't offer you a job right now, but, uh, uh, and I am engaged. So, uh, but apart from that, <laughs> any questions or queries are more than welcome. Amazing. Well, Shmem's a Theatre Art Life contributor, so her articles are on the site on theatreartlife.com. You can look her up there and her links to her Facebook and social media are also there so you can connect with her that way if you'd like to. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time, Shmem. It's great to see you again. You too. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free, and if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.